you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Okay. All right. You're recording. I always get excited. Yeah, it is exciting. It's so fun to count down. (laughs) Alrighty. (laughs) I just, you know, I'm not good at math. I like numbers. I like counting down to stuff. (laughs) This is, we're professionals (laughs) starting off so well. Anyway, (laughs) today we are taking a break from Pearl of Spouse and we are jumping to a new text, quite a short text this week, but I think it'll still be fun. This text was suggested to us by Patrick Confer over on our Facebook. So thank you, Patrick. I know you requested this a while ago, and we are just now getting to it. But this is a great text. I'm really excited to get into it. And it's called The Debate of the Carpenter's Tools. And it's a Middle English poem debate thing. It's it's quite a satire. And those of you who enjoyed our very, very first episode, The Tournament of Tottenham, will enjoy this one because the tournament was a satire of sort of the the tournament traditions in England at the time. And the debate of the carpenter's tools is a satire of the debate format, usually about, you know, a lover saying like, should I, should I not fall in love with this person? Or usually higher level sorts of topics. But this one is about, you know, whether the carpenter is or is not a good person and should be working more or not. So (laughs) it does have some very interesting things to say about feminism, actually, and the role of the medieval woman and the medieval wife. So we'll get into that a little bit. And then as per usual, we will jump into our segments after going through the text and sort of pick it apart and see what we can find for a D&D game or story ideas, or at the very least, some really interesting and really fascinating specific Middle English carpenter tool names that you can use. So... I figure, you know, if Sam Regal can call his newest character in Critical Role Fresh Cut Grass, then you can name your character after the, you know, double X something or other. But, you know, there's plenty of names for you to pick. Alrighty. Um, let's see. We have a new patron this week to shout yes, out, do. which is always exciting. So this is our lovely shout out to M. Thank you for supporting the podcast. You've been supporting it for a while now. We are super, super grateful. You help us find cool new content. And through supporting us, you get extra goodies, exclusive content, such as like blooper reels, also behind the scenes of our art, what we do for merch, and oh gosh, all the other wonderful episode names that Mac, you come up with that... I have to sort through and pick only one. And it's so hard every time. I'm like, no, I want to use all of these. So if you're curious as to what those are, become a patron and you will find out. They're very good. They're all fantastic. You get to see some of the nonsense I send to Zoe. when <laughs> It's wonderful nonsense. Joyous nonsense. But anyway, thank you, M, for being a patron. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, come find us on Patreon. It's just the Maniculum Podcast. And if you're looking for other ways to support or get involved with the podcast, you should check us out on Discord. We actually had a response to one of our recent episodes where I went on my little menstruation rant. 
about how like no grim dark fantasy novels talk about female menstruation um there were a few people who discussed where there actually were some examples of that. So let me pull that up. Oh, I missed this. Did somehow. you? Oh, no, it's good. It's in a little thread. So it's under episodes and then it's under uh, menstruation and sci-fi fantasy. So Yoav says he can list exactly one fantasy novel that deals with menstruation, which is the first book of the Song of the Lioness by Tamora Pierce. It's a YA fantasy novel that I thought was cute, but not great. But here we are. Yeah, to some of Tamora Pierce's other stuff is better, I think. That's fair. Although, I think I'm looking back with rose-colored glasses because I haven't read any of it since I was, myself, a young adult. I think I, I was a big fan of her in middle and high school. So, I'm actually not... I assume it holds up. I feel like it holds should hold up. That's fair. I should go back and find out. <laughs> that was that was me when I went back and reread the first book of Aragon. I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> I still love that series. I love what Christopher Paolini did. And also, you can tell he wrote it when he was 15. But I still love I love those books. I read them at the perfect time. Tamora Pierce is responsible for my longstanding love of hyenas in general because of the talking hyenas in the Wild Magic trilogy. I think that is the coolest idea. Because you've talked about that before. And that's a that's a pretty, I guess, usual piece of folklore in African history and legend. Yeah, that the that hyenas can call your name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the in this case, it was because of the it was because the main character could speak to animals in general. But the hyenas were had a very charming characterization. Oh, oh, that's so cool. Uh, and Joshua also adds that Brent Weeks and Sarah J. Mass also stand out for including female menstruation, but Weeks's writing tends to be fairly graphic and incredibly dark. And Sarah J. Mass, I personally have tried to read her novels. I can't do them because I think that they are basically YA softcore porn and all the characters are horny at all times and I just can't do that. But they're very, very popular on TikTok and book talk, as the kids call it. So if that is your alley and it's, you know, it's got fairies and it's got hot boys and also hot women. So if you're into that, go for it. But apparently that includes. Yeah, I was going to say, like that sounds like she knows her audience. <laughs> young adults are horny at all times. They're very hormonal creatures. This is true. So go for it. Anyway, those were those were three different books that include female menstruation in sci-fi and fantasy that I did not think of. So I found that that was pretty interesting. Is Mass the one who writes the books that are called like the Court of Thing and other yep. thing? Okay, I thought that name sounded familiar. That would be her, absolutely. To be fair, I should try and get through, like, one of them. I should try. I should try. I would like to try. Maybe I'll report back and see what I can do. I've been meaning to read more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can tell us whether or not your your judgment holds up. I mean, it is a book about fairies, so maybe we'll do, like, a little one-off about the medieval fae versus Sarah J. Mass's horny fae. You know, I can't think of any horny fae in the medieval tradition. No, they're, they're, well, well, they're usually declining horny human men. To be fair, the Morrigan was very horny. That's true. Well, she's a goddess, though. Not, not a, a fae. fae. I don't know. The fae, the fae aren't usually super horny, is the thing. No. I guess we don't really know why the fae stole the queen and Sir Orpheo. Maybe it was a horny thing. That's fair. And Triamor and Sir Lawnfall might count. That's true. We should do one or both of those at some point. Yeah, we should definitely do those. We should also do a fairy episode. 
Fairies are cool. Anyway, point of all this being, if you want to join in conversations like this, please come join our Discord channel and you'll hear more conversations like this. And you'll be able to chat directly with us so that if we do miss something, we can bring it up on the podcast. I should go back and read more Tomorrow Fears. <laughs> See, look, you've got us reading now, too. All right. Shall we jump into the text? Yes, let's do that. <laughs> I've gotten off track. Gotten off track. All right. Alrighty. So this text in particular has sort of a weird provenance. And provenance is basically like where the text comes from. It's the history of the text or at least of the manuscript. So this text is found in the Codex Ashmole 61. It's in the, is it? Bodleian Library? You know, I have no idea Bodleian? whether it's Bodleian or Bodleian. I think it's Bodleian. Uh, but right. a very fancy, you know, English library. They have a wonderful manuscripts, and a lot of them are digitized. So if you're interested, I check them out. I was going to say, yeah, they've definitely digitized several of them. And, you know, that's always worth checking out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun to be able to look through manuscripts, even if it's not in person. Yes, this is incredibly true. It's very helpful, especially in the COVID times. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this particular text, the Debate of the Carpenter's Tools, is found in the Codex, and it has been called by George Shuffleton a compilation of popular Middle English verse that, that is talking about the Codex itself. It is a collection that is not unlike the Gesta Romanorum, so it contains a bunch of different stories of saints' lives, moral tales, Latin epigrams, romances, and also this funny little debate, this little satire. So you'll sort of see themes that you've seen before in collections like this. The work itself is left undated, but since it's Middle English, we sort of have a time range within which we can date it, or at least know when this text was penned, which is probably the late 15th century around then. The poet is sometimes called anonymous in some of the literature I'm reading, and then other scholars believe that the poet signed his name as like Rate or Rate in whatever the Middle English would be in the manuscript, but like that's sort of an uncommonish name. So largely anonymous, I'm going to go with the anonymous poet, because that's sort of the majority of the scholarship that I found. And according to Dr. Angus McIntosh, the spellings throughout the debate locate the poem's penning, if not its original origin, to Northeast Leicestershire. So that's sort of a little bit about the text itself. We don't really know whether this text was copied first somewhere else. This is the only extant version that we have. But most Middle English debate poetry centers around love and romance, as I sort of touched on earlier. But the debate of the carpenter's tools is satire. The carpenter's tools hurl insults at each other. They have no gentlemanly courtesy. And they subvert all the expectations of the genre, which is very, very fun to read. The debate itself displays the value of labor in the culture of the time, specifically a carpenter's labor, and he's known in the poem as the right, which is the most common term for carpenter that we can pull up in the Middle English Dictionary. Right, as in shipwright. Yes, as in shipwright. So even though later this term kind of becomes anyone who's a craftsman, it originally means carpenter of some sort, whether that's like a shipwright or a wheelwright or whatever. I really like the word rune right, just as a as Ooh. a thing. And then I, I called my tattooists who could do magical tattoos in my homebrew, I called them skin rights, which I really, really like. So I had fun with that one. 
when you started that sentence, I thought you meant like your personal tattooist. And like, I didn't know you even had tattoos. What's <laughs> a close relationship with your tattooist? No, I am terrified of needles. I can't do tattoos, even though I think they look super cool. I mean, it's not that bad. It doesn't hurt as much as they say. See, it's not the pain for me. It's the fact that it's a needle. I uh, just, I don't like the needles. Anyway. Yeah, there's nothing to be done about that. No, you really, really can't get over that point. But anyway, the the poem itself is very interesting because it displays a lot of the mores of the culture in terms of like working hard is the way to get to a moral life. And if you are a slacker, you are, or a lazy person, you are not a moral person and you can improve your spiritual standing through hard work, which is still a very Protestant idea in America today. Like we yeah, see Yeah, I was this. about to say like, I'm so glad we've gotten away yeah. from that <laughs> Like toxic grind mentality. Yeah, pull your bootstraps up, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I won't touch on that too much more, but that is one of the themes that you can see here, especially. You can also see that the carpenter's wife who is featured is not portrayed in a very nice way as sort of befits what the poem is going for. And the reason for that is because carpenters at this time or anyone who was in a guild, if you wanted to be a master craftsman, you had to be married. So really? mm-hmm, in a lot of them, in most of them, you had to be married to be considered a master craftsman. So you could be like, you know, you wouldn't be an apprentice, you'd be a craftsman, but you wouldn't be a master craftsman until or unless you were married. So you have to have a spouse in order to be a master at your craft, because that assumes that you have a household, you have a workshop, you have servants, you have apprentices, you have all the accoutrements that go with being a master craftsman. So a lot of times having a wife would not be so much a labor of love so much as a necessity. So something to keep in mind with this poem The debate itself was likely performed at a Carpenter's Guild feast. This was a very popular thing. Different guilds would get together and have feasts sort of just to celebrate. This would be a space for all of the men to come together. Hence why the woman in this poem is basically negged so much because women wouldn't be there. This pokes fun at the carpenter who doesn't do his job correctly, but it also pokes fun at the wife who's nagging at her husband to do something. So we'll see all of those interesting things in this poem. It is not confirmed that this was performed at a guild, but it is likely because of the specificity of the tools being mentioned and the general topics and themes that we can see. So here's how I'm going to do this. I am going to read this in the Middle English. Oh, God. Okay. Because that's how it is. And we're sort of going to piece it together and translate it as we go. Personally, I did this, like, I, I made this executive decision because I really enjoy how Middle English sounds, and I think that everybody should hear it at least once. And it's not super long as a poem. It's only, like, 280 lines, so it should be fine. They're short lines, too. We're not talking anything massive. But anyway, we do have the gloss. And this is from the Teams Middle English Text series. If you're not familiar with that and you are a medievalist and you work with medieval texts we highly highly recommend the team's middle english series it's fantastic it's put out by the university of rochester if i'm correct yes highly highly recommend and there's also the middle english compendium for other glossing and middle english word needs sometimes it's just fun to like 
look in there and find Middle English equivalents of modern English words. I have a lot of fun just dicking around on that. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hopefully my Middle English is okay. <sighs> the ship, at, and I'm not going to do it too intonation-y, so it's not going to be a perfect Middle English because I do want this mm-hmm. to be understandable. So, the ship axe said unto the right, Meta and drinka I shall thee plight. Clean hose and clean shoon, get them wheresoever thou can. But for all that ever thou can, thou'll never be a thrifty man. Nay, none that longes the craft unto, for nothing that thou canna do. So essentially, in this opening, the ship axe is saying to the carpenter himself, I promise you, you will get good things. Clean shoes, clean hose, food, drink, if you can actually work, because you're not a thrifty person. Mm-hmm. Wherefore, that's to say, why, said the belt, with great strokes I shall him pelt. My master shall full well then, both to clothe and feed his men. I'm sorry, is the is the mallet offering to beat the carpenter there? Yes. So he's saying, well... I know that the carpenter won't work, so I will beat him into working. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yay, yay, said the twibble. Tw- mm. I'd say twibble. Twibble. The double-edged axe. Again, like you can have so many fun names with this stuff. Yeah, or possibly twibble. Twibble. Uh, but the double-edged axe. Thou speaks ever again skill. Iwis, iwis, it will not be, Never, I think that he will then. So basically, this isn't gonna work. He's not gonna. He's not gonna do this. Yeah, and we've got some like whole line glosses on this one. I see. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so the iwis iwis it will not bene is surely, surely it will not be so. And speaking again, skill is uh, against reason. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, said the wimbil, which is the boring tool or the drill. I am. Else round as a thimble, or a thimble. My master's work I will remember. I shall creep up fast into the timber, and help my master within a stone to store his coffer with twenty pound. So here he's saying the drill, which is as round as a thimble. So that's a that's a pretty large, oh, I guess tip screw. Bit. Bit. Thank you. I you I do carpentry. <laughs> ha ha! <laughs> and he's saying, I remember the work that I can do from the carpenter, and I will creep fast into the timber, sink firmly into the wood, and create a little hole where he can store the 20 pounds of his wealth in the timber, in the hole that he creates. Oh, is that what it was? I thought it was just saying, like, in general, uh, I will help I will help him quickly to make 20 pounds of money. Oh, I think that's a better interpretation. I like yours better. That makes more sense. All right. <laughs> and there's a there's a note here that 20 pounds is something like double the amount of a master carpenter's yearly wages. Oh, no. So, OK, so the drill's like, oh, we got this. Yeah. With my yeah, help. An extremely high number. Yea, yea, said the compass. Thou art a fool in that case, for thou speakest without visement or thought. Therefore thou gettest not the intent. Wit thou well it shall be so, that likely come shall likely go. 
and thou get more than other fave, yet shall the master never thrive. Interesting. I like that the apparently easy come, easy go was already there. I like, like it, that's yeah. A, that's an older statement. Lightly come shall lightly go. So here the compass is saying, he's speaking against the drill and saying, you're a fool, you speak without any thought. And even if you, like, you know well that even if you did this work, you will not earn more than other five. So I suppose like five. Even if you get five times that much, then the master will never thrive. Yes. Which, hint, hint, it's because he's a drunk. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. Also, wit thou well is a good phrase just for general like. Oh, definitely. The groping iron, which is the gouge, and there should be a note on this one. I'd have to lose my place, so it's helpful if you look at those, but I... Oh, yeah, it says a chisel or gouge. The groping iron then spake, hey, compass, who hath graved ye? My master yet may thrive full well, how shall I will thee tell? I am his servant true and good, I swear the compass by the road, Work I shall both night and day to get him good, I shall assay. So here, the gouge, or the chisel, is saying, no, 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 like, who hurt you, compass? Because it wasn't the master, it wasn't the carpenter. I will help him, and I am a true and good tool, and I will serve him. And I swear by the rode, by the cross, that I will work and try to get him to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And by better person, he means working. So again, we see this theme of to work hard is to prosper and to be a spiritually good person. Yea, yea, said the saw, it is but boast that thou dost blow. For thof, is that, what is that word? Though. Oh, I see. Yikes. Though, thof. Thof. There's an F in it. Yeah, I think that probably used to be a yoch. I swear I read this through before. I just, I, I struggle with speaking the Middle English. Anyway. Yea, yea, said the saw. It is but boast that thou dost blow. For though thou wert both day and night, he will not say, I say, thee right. He wanted to knife the alewife, and he thought ever for to thrive. So. Yep. <laughs> so the saw is now saying, it is a boast that you blow or a boast that you brag about. Because even if you work, he's not going to prosper because he lives too near the ale with the tavern keeper to yeah. thrive correctly. Even if he, he wanted to thrive, he lives too close to the ale wife. I like that. <laughs> that would be a good, like, gnomic saying, a good phrase to have. He lives too close to the ale wife. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I live too close to the ale wife. <laughs> Then said the Whitstone, Though my master thift be gone, I shall him help within this year to get him twenty merke clear. His axes shall I make full sharp, that they might lately do their work. To make my master a rich man, I shall say that if I can. So again, the Whitstone is now saying... Yeah, okay, my master's thriftiness or prosperity is gone, but within the year, I will get him 20 marks of profit yeah. and keep his axes sharp. And the note says that a mark is two-thirds of a pound. So at least we're not going with 20 pounds. Yeah. We're, we're bringing it down a little bit. 
All right. To him then said the Addis, or Addis, which is... Ads. Ads. Blech. That's a word. The note says it is an axe-like tool with a curved blade used for cutting away wood. Good to know. Anyway, the Ads says... Ye sir, God gladis, to speak of thrift it will not be, ne never I think he shall see. For he will drink more on a day than thou can lightly arn in tway. Therefore the tongue I read thou hold, and speak no more, no words so bold. So, in this one, don't speak of being thrift, he shall never prosper. That's what ne'er I think he shall say. It's they're using probably a borrowed French word. Oh, is that what that is? All right. That's what I'm guessing. He'll drink more in a day than you can earn in two. Therefore, shut your mouth and speak no more bold words. To the Eddies then said the file, Thou should not thy master revile, for though he be unhappy, yet for his thrift thou should see. For I think tomorrow at none, to earn my master a pair of shone, for I shall rub with all my might, my master toils for to dight, so that within a little space my master proves I shall increase. So here the file is now saying, don't revile the master, for even though he is unhappy, you should tend to your work, he, will, he should tend to his work. And I think tomorrow before noon, the file can earn a pair of shoes. And then he says, I shall rub with all my might. To prepare the master's tools. Yes. So that in a small space, he shall increase his purse. Then said they chisel. I love that spelling. C-H-E-S-Y-L-L. Chisel. Which is apparently different from the, what was it? Groping axe or something. Oh, the groping iron. Yeah. I do love how specified these are because, like, it couldn't have just been any poet who penned this. Like, they had to know what the tools were. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder who who actually wrote this. But anyway, the chisel goes on. And ever he thrive, he bears him well. For though thou rub thy head ache, his thrift from him it will be take. For he loves God ale so well, that he therefore his whole will sell. For some days he will seven pens drink. How he shall thrive, I cannot think. I'm sorry, his what he'll sell? His hood. His hood. Oh, hood! Oh no, I don't want to know what you thought. Yeah, skip right over that. <laughs> anyway... The chisel is saying that you can rub and rub until your head aches, dear file, but it's not going to do you any good because he's not going to earn any money. He loves ale so much that some days he can drink seven pints. Or, no, sorry, seven pence, pence worth, seven pence worth yes. of ale. The note says that's <laughs> up to seven gallons of ale. That is a, a lot of ale. extravagant amount, it says. <laughs> Although I, I imagine that if it's seven gallons, it's small ale and therefore just the kind of stuff you drink like casually throughout the day. But that's still a lot of liquid to consume. That is a lot of liquid to consume. Like even if it's water. Yeah. And then additionally, this is one of the reasons that scholars have thought this was performed at one of the feasts is to say like, oh, yeah, there, there's a bunch of drunkards in here. We're all drinking ale. We might as well enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, said the lion and chalka. My master is like too many folk. 
Though he loo for ale ne'er so well, To thrive and say I shall him tell. I shall mark her well upon the wood, And keep her his measures true and good, And so by my measures all, To fare full well my master shall. So, Lion and Chalk are now saying, Yeah, yeah, but my master's like a lot of people, And I'll keep doing my job, I'll mark on the wood, And keep the measurements, you know, in line and true, And he'll prosper, I will help the craftsman prosper. Yeah, and the line in chalk is, uh, I'm looking at the note, a string coated in chalk so that you can draw a straight line by just putting it on the wood. Oh, that's handy. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would help us when we're trying to like line stuff up on the wall instead of like putting it there and then trying to draw with a pencil. Yeah. Why didn't I think it? Hmm. You'd still have to like, that doesn't mean it gets it level. It just means it's straight. So it's about the same effect you'd get with a pencil and a ruler. That's true. Yeah, but the rulers are a lot shorter. You can get a string to be pretty long. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. All right. Then bespake the pricking knife, which is an awl. He dollies tonight the ale with. She makes off time his purse full thin. No penny sometimes she lives therein. So thou get more than than other three. Thrifty man he cannot bear. So the awl is saying the ale wife is going to take all, the, all of his money because he's spending it all on ale. Yeah. Again, he, he dwells too nigh the ale life. Yes. So even if you make more than three others, he's still not going to be thrifty. He's just going to spend it all on ale. On ale. He's got a spending problem. It's not mm-hmm. It's not that he's not earning enough. Yeah, yeah, said the persor, which is an auger, which is apparently a type of drill. Yeah, I'm really confused about what the difference is between this drill and the other drill. Because, like, I know what an auger is, but I thought that was what we were talking about with a with what a medieval drill would be. Maybe it's bigger. Yeah, it might be a different size. we got fancy names for all of this stuff. To be fair, these could be best guesses as well, mm-hmm. which is something that we do need to account for. Yeah, yeah, said the persor. That at I say it shall be sure. Which did ye each other with other? What ye not well, I am your brother. Therefore none contrary may. For as I say, so it shall be. My master yet shall be full rich. As fair as I may stret and stretch, I will help with all my might, both by day and by night. Fast to run into the wood, and bite I shall with moth full good. And thus I trow be my crown, to make him sheriff of the town. Which is a bold thing to say. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a high... Oh, there's a note on this. Uh, it's typically held by minor gentry, so this is indeed a bold claim. <laughs> Alright, so what is the persor saying? He's saying, like, stop fighting with one another. What I say will be true. We're all friends here. We're all brothers in this situation. The craftsman will be full rich because he's going to do his work and drill into the wood and bite with my mouth full good. I also like that a uh, mouth is spelled moth, moth. here because uh, bite with the moth full good sounds a little threatening and <laughs> it's an interesting image. I'll get my I'll get my moth to bite you. Biting moth. Ooh, we can put that in the bestiary. <laughs> we could. A biting moth. Anyway, he's saying, oh, I swear that, or like, thus I throw, trust me, I will make him sheriff of the town, which would be a like lower noble position, essentially. 
Yeah, it's technically, I think it's like not required that you're a noble. It's just like a job you can have, but it was, the note does say it was typically held by minor gentry. So local, I was going to say elected position. I guess it would be elected. I don't know if it's elected or appointed is the thing. Mm. But anyway, local position where you don't necessarily have to be gentry, but through politics being what they are, it wouldn't be very likely for a craftsman to hold this position. Mm-hmm. Soft sir, said the scantilion. That's how I would say it, yeah. Scantilion, which is a gauge. I trow your thrift be well needon. Ever too cruel thou art in word, and yet thou art not worth a tord. Which is, you're not worth exactly a tord. Exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and it's it's worth noting that that word has not changed very much. It's just spelled with a different vowel. Yeah. But otherwise, it means exactly what you think, and it's used in exactly the same context. Absolutely. For all the good that thou get might, he will spend it on a knight. Which is to say, he's not spending it on a knight, like a K-N-I-G-H-T, but he's going to spend it in a single knight. Is right. the implication there, because the preposition on was on or in. It's the same in Latin, except in the Latin is just in, and that can also mean on. And linguistics are weird. Then the crow began to speak. This is the crowbar. Not a bird. Not the bird. <laughs> For why his heart was like to break, to hear his brother so reviled, and said, Thou speakest like a child. Though my master spend never so fast, enough he shall have at the last. May fourteen as much as e'er shall he, that drink ne'er penny, to that he dath. So the crowbar is saying, you're talking like a child, even though my master spends not, like, he doesn't spend that quickly. Oh no, that's that's never so as in ever so. Oh great, lovely. Though he spends so very, very fast, yes. He will end up having enough. And then yeah. he may be as fortunate that he will never. What I, I can't parse this line. He may ha, he may be as fortunate as one who never drinks a penny's worth a penny's until worth. he dies. Until he dies. Gotcha. So basically, he's saying like even if even though he spends a lot, he may still be able to have as much as someone who is more thrifty in this respect. And yes, and doesn't spend all his money with the with. Yes. Yay, yay! Said the ruler, which is the ruler. We're familiar with those. Mm-hmm. If. I believe, thou art but a fool, for and he die and have right not, who trowest thou will give him aught. Thus shall he lie upon the ground, and be buried like an hound. For and a man have aught before, when he has need, it is good store. And Ifaith is, uh, of course, the ancestor of in faith. That's why it means, like, I believe. In faith. In faith, yes. Ifith. That's a good one. I like that one. In faith, you're a fool. For if he dies and has nothing, who believes that you'll give him anything? you will give him anything. Yeah. Yeah. Thus, he'll lie in the ground and be buried like a hound, like a dog. And then we get this lovely little gnomic saying, For a man have ought before, when he has need, it is good store. So a man should have before he needs it. A little reserve supply of what he needs. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the plane. 
what, Sir Ruler? said the plain. Another reason I will be sane. Though my master have no happy, yet thee, master, thou shouldest not lick. That's a really hard phrase to understand, so I'm going to just translate that in the moment. Mm -hmm. So even though my master has no luck, you shouldn't blame him anyway. Like You shouldn't abuse him for, the, for this stuff. Yeah, this is using a word that's almost entirely gone extinct, except in the fossilized context of hapless. If you're hapless, you're luckless. Hap just means luck. Or happenstance. Or happenstance. A good happenstance. Good luck. And we should also note that when we say plane, we don't mean airplane. It's like <laughs> a flat thing that you use to... Uh, What's the what's the phrase I'm looking for? Even out a surface. Yes. For yet a minute I shall say that my master shall well say. And again, prosper. He shall well prosper. I shall him help both day and night to get him good with all my might. I shall cleanse on every side to help my master in his pride. So the rest of it seems fairly self-explanatory. We just had a... The first part of it was difficult. Yes. The broad axe said without miss, which I love the note here, broad axe with certainty. I guess like without and miss is with certainty, but I just like, I like to think that our editor is like, yes, we know that this is a broad axe. It's spelled almost the same way. But anyway, the broad axe said with certainty, the plain my brother is, we too shall cleanse and make full plain that no man shall us gainsay or gainsay to disagree with, and get our master in a year more silver than a man may bear. So he's agreeing and saying, yes, we'll get him more gold than you can like carry in a year, or that you can carry, and we'll do it in a year. Yes. Yea, yea, said the Twivet, which is an axe. Or mallet. Or a mallet. See note. OED suggests this is a double-edged axe via an etymology endorsed by Wilson. Salzman argues plausibly that the tool is a mallet. This is, I'm reading directly from the note. And both of these things are questionable because, this is now me speaking, because we've already had a double-edged axe and a mallet. Yes. Who knows what this is? A, a more specified mallet. Maybe it's like a little tinker's tool yeah. of some sort. Thrift I trow bay fro you set to keep my master in his pride. So thrift I trow bay fro you set is its own little phrase that means profit I am sure is kept from you to keep my master in his pride. So you, you're not having profit because my master is stuck in his pride. In the country ye cannot bide, or bide, without ye stella and be thieves, and put many men to grafes. For he will drink more in an hour than two men may get in four. When ye have wrought all that ye can, ye shall never be thrifty men. So here we're saying, profit is kept from you because my master is kept in pride. You cannot live in the country without there being thieves, or unless you unless you become a thief. Yeah, I, I, I think he's basically saying you're not going to be successful in this unless you turn to thievery. Yeah. For, for the craftsman will drink more in an hour than two men may, I'm assuming, craft in four. Like, craft enough money to get in four. Oh, I was assuming he just meant that uh, he will drink more in an hour than two men can drink in four hours. That's fair. That's probably fair. I guess I was thrown by the two men may get in four. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he's a hefty drinker. He can hold his ale. 
Indeed. Then bespake the polyph, which is a pulley, the pulley, with great strong words and stiff. How, Sir Twivet, Twivet, make me think you graved, what devil who hath you thus maved, or disturbed, who have you moved? Though he spend more in a year of gold and silver than thou may bear, I shall him help with all my might, I trow to make him yet a knight. Which is knight with a, with a K. Yes, another very dramatic clip. <laughs> what, sir, said the windless rule, the windless, methinkest thou art but a fool. Now we're, okay, we're getting repeated lines here, come on. Be a little bit more creative there, poet. <laughs> For thou speakest out of season, he may not say, therefore by reason. He may not prosper, therefore by reason. A carpenter to be a knight? That were ever aching right. Therefore I shall thee tell a saw, who would be hue, he shall be law. I will tell you a proverb, so a saw is a proverb. Mm -hmm. I think that's whoever wishes to be high shall be low. Yes, who would be high shall be law. You can hear it, sort of. It's it's almost there. Yea, then said the rule stone, which again is a different kind of straight edge. I'm not sure if we're getting repeating ideas because they're different tools, or if we're getting the tools that have spoken before speaking Speaking again, again. and we're just using different words for them. That would be really interesting. I didn't see that in any of the literature that I read, or at least I didn't notice that. They all seemed that they were going, like, straight down the list of different tools. Ah, well, I'll believe that then. Uh, I mean, I don't think you have to. I think that, because we have, you know, a hammer and a mallet can be the same tool with different names. So maybe our maybe our poet is just being clever with his words. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I don't know enough about medieval carpentry. Nope, me neither. But anyway, take that as you will. If you know, let us know, because there's a lot of weird terms in this. But anyway, the uh, ruler, again, is speaking, or the rule stone. Master hath many phone, foes, and he, ye would help at his need. <laughs> Mac made the made the old millennial sign for phone. You know, oh. <laughs> I do it too. I do it too. But you know, kids now are they're like they don't understand because it looks like the like um like the surfer dude hand signal. Yeah, the hang loose, the hang loose symbol, and that's like phone to you and me. But to like my younger students, you have to you have to like hold it like you're holding a cup and put that to your ear. Because really? yeah, because you hold iPhones like that. Yeah, but I, th- I thought it was like how the save symbol is a floppy disk. Like, it would just stick around as a symbol whether it was the actual thing or not. Apparently not. So they do the, they hold it up like this. Yeah, what? they hold it like a, like a C, like a cup. All right. Anyway. My master has many foes, and ye would help at his need, my master should the better speed. But whosoever ye brag or boast, my master shall rule the roast. For as I am a true man, I shall him help her all that I can. So here we have rule the roost mm-hmm. as an idiom, which is great. And my master should the better speed is he shall fare better. Yes. The gouge said, and again, this is the chisel, which I feel like we had the gouge before. We have we have now, this is the third thing we've had that's been repeated. Uh, glossed as chisel. Yeah, I'm thinking they're going back and forth. Why not? The gouge said, The devil's dirt for anything that thou can work. 
for all that ever thou can do, it is not worth an old shoe. Which is exactly what you think it is. <laughs> thou hast be prentice this seven year, and yet thy craft is for to lear. And thou couth work as well as he, ye shall thy master never say. So this is very interesting to me because the tools have now become apprentices. Mm -hmm. So to sort of gloss that for you all, it's the devil's dirt for anything that you can work, which I think is a great little throwaway line. Absolutely. Oh, the devil's dirt. The devil's dirt on you. Anyway, whatever you can do is not worth a shoe. And even though you've been an apprentice for seven years, you still need to learn your craft. Like you haven't learned anything. And even if you could work as well as him, you will never get him to prosper is what Mm -hmm. he's saying here now we get to the gabul rope which is the cable softer sir said the gabul rope may think god all is in your tope for thou speakest as thou would fight thereto and thou had any might i shall tell thee another tale my master how i shall avail Hail and pull I shall fall fast, to race houses while I may last, and so within a little thrall my master good shall not be no. So here the cable, which is like the pulley system again, says good ale is in your head. Yeah, that's the topa top. Yes, your top. You're speaking as though you'd fight. I'll tell you a different story. I shall help my master by pulling fast and helping raise a house. And yep. yes, my master's good shall not be unknown. Shall not be Noah. I, yeah, I think that's a, my master's good shall be unknown as in uh, beyond uh, reckoning. Ah, yes, that would make sense. Oh, here we go. Then spake the righteous wife. So this is now, finally, the carpenter's wife stepping in. Nother of you shall never thrive. Okay, really quick, I want to harp on this, because I think this is really, really interesting. Double negatives in Middle English do not create positives. They emphasize Mm -hmm. the negative. Yes. So, nother of you shall never thrive is, none of y'all will ever thrive, but with emphasis. Yes. Let's also point out that there... That uh, she's using neither to mean more than two, which is interesting. And Mm. one of those, another thing that we're told is technically wrong, but obviously is very old. Mm -hmm. So anyway, just notice these things as we go through, especially with her use of the negative. Nother of you shall never thrive, nother the master, ne the man, for nothing that ye do can. For ye will spend in a moneth more good than three men hath. Yes, because then we get to the square. Okay, so here... Or the square, apparently. The, squ- the square. That's odd, because one of the uh, one of the articles I was reading did translate it as squire, not square. Like squire as in an apprentice. Oh, huh. So I don't know. I don't know how to read that one. Maybe it's a very square squire. The square squire. That would be... I, I, I do enjoy that. I don't think he's very square if he works for this particular master. Maybe he's just square in overall shape. <laughs> just an absolute square boy. Yeah, an absolute unit. <laughs> yes, indeed. But anyway, um, so the wife says he's going to spend in a month more than three men ha- than three men have. Mm-hmm. The squire said, "What say ye, dame? Thou should not speak my master's shame." 
So he's just butting in and being like, get out of here, lady. Square, I have no other cause. I swear thee by Saint Estate. Whoa. Saint Eustace. Saint Eustace. Yeah, Saint Eustace. Yes. I swear by Saint Eustace for all the yearn that I may spin to spend at... (laughs) To spend... Sorry, I'm still saying it. (laughs) You stars. You stars. It's a fun word. Yeah. Bring bring that one into your next campaign. What's your name? You stars. <laughs> and how oh, do man, you spell that? Italian. <laughs> it's English. You stars. You stars. <laughs> anyway, for all the yarn that I may spin to spend that L, he thinks no sin. He will spend more in an hour than thou and I can get in fower. And again, we're just using this one and four because those are the hours that rhyme or the numbers that rhyme. Yeah, and I like that we're hearing again about um, the ways that women bring in income to a medieval house. Because mm-hmm. we saw that a lot when we did the second Shepherd's play is Jill was always, or Gil was always talking about like, I was just about to try and make us some money. Right. And then you come in with this sheep nonsense. <laughs> this is bullshit. And, yeah, and and now we're seeing this this wife going like, I, may, I bring us money by spinning yarn and he spins it on ale. Yes. Uh, remind me to come back to this point because there's an interesting guild reading about this. But anyway. Yet me think, be to blame, to give my master such a name. And this is, again, the squire or the square, the square squire speaking. Mm-hmm. To give my master such a name. For though he spend more than ye have, yet his worship ye should serve. So here he's saying, well, even though he spends more than he makes, you should at least protect his name, you're his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, worship here uh, is being used in the same way it is in Mallory to mean, like, honor. Mm -hmm. Like the noun honor, not the verb honor. Mary, I shrew him and thee too, and all them that so can do. For his servant I trow thou be, there thou shalt never say. For and thou learn thy craft at him, thy thrift I trow shall be full thin. So this, again, is the wife speaking and saying I curse you and I curse him and all y'all essentially dishonor on your cow <laughs> dishonor on your all dishonor on your ruler dishonor exactly. on your gauge <laughs> she's saying you're trying to learn this craft from him but it's it, this isn't going to help you like you're not going to make money yeah. he's not making money I don't know why you think you should protect this man and then we get to the drot nail, which is the nail puller. Yeah, or, I'm looking at the note, says the Middle English Dictionary and Salzman suggests this is a punch for countersinking nails. I don't know enough about carpentry to explain what that is. Uh, but Wilson argues that etymology fails the interpretation of the phrase as a nail drawer. So like like the back end of a hammer, I think, is what we're supposed to be picturing in, in that interpretation. Oh, I like that. Cool. Or possibly the tool you use to make a nail. Ooh, that's cool. Because you, I, no, that, yeah, because you you make them by drawing metal through a thing, don't you? Wouldn't that be like a, a like a smith's work, like a metalsmith? That's true. Hmm. Well, maybe carpenters. I don't know. Do, I don't I know if they if would do that themselves. No, because you'd have to have a whole a whole system for that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyone who knows more about medieval carpentry than we do, let us know. Yeah. See, my guess was like if they had some like nail punch mechanism. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But anyway, probably something like the back of a hammer is what I'm going to go with here. The draught nail then spake he and said, Dame, that is no lie. That is not a lie. Ye have the manner of these freakis, that thus for my master speakis. But life to me a little space, I shall yo tell all the case. How that they work for their good, I will not lie by the road. When they have wrought an hour or two, anon to the ale they will go, and drink there while they may dray, though to me, and I to thee, and says, this is a lot, because this is all quoted, so we're going to break this up. All right. I feel like that would be a better idea, so people can keep up as we go. So let's go back to where the nail puller is originally saying. So he's saying, lady, you're not lying. This is true. Give me a minute. Listen to me. And I'm going to tell you what's actually going on here. Again, by the road, by the cross, I will not lie. When he's worked for an hour or two, he's going to go back to the alehouse and keep drinking and cheer. What I think is interesting is that they're saying not he, but they. they. So implying that the carpenter is going drinking with his tools. I like that, especially because they are, like, the apprentices here. Mm -hmm. Or possibly they mean the carpenter and his unspoken apprentices, but... You know, eh. see, because I was wondering about that, because there's some... And again, this just shows that I haven't looked at my Middle English that well in that long, because sometimes what we will interpret as they pronouns are singular pronouns. Mm -hmm. And that's fairly common, so I wasn't sure how to read that. No, I'm pretty sure that's they. Oh, no, you're right, because the next because line. They, they, they're talking to each other yes. in, in the next line. Yep. So he's saying, you to me and I to thee. Like, yay, cheers, we're all drinking, it's great. And says, the axe shall pay for these, therefore the cup ones I will kiss. I'm going to kiss the cup, that is to say, drink, which is a really great metaphor. I like that. I also like that apparently the axe is paying for it. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like this particular piece of work I did with my axe, and that's how I earned the money for this drink. I don't know. I'm I'm going to interpret it as being like completely personified. <laughs> like the tools are just hopping, boing, to, hopping boing, boing. behind their their carpenter like a Disney movie. I was gonna going say, to say it's like Fantasia. And when they come to work again, they belt to his master will say, Master, work not out of reason. The day is very long of season. Small strokes let us hake, and some time let us airs or bake. So let's only work for a short amount of time. Yes. The rimble speaks like a seer, seven pence of a day is small here, for ratis that work so fast, and in our work have great haste, or haste. So, seven pence is small wages for carpenters who work so fast. Mm-hmm. The groping iron says full son, Master, will ye well done? Late us not work to we suit, for catching of over great heat. For we may after cold to take, then on stroke may we no hake. I like that. Like, oh no, we shouldn't work too hard. We'll get sick and then we won't be able to work at all. So yeah. really, it's a good idea to take a break. Yeah, come on, you guys. So parsing that just a little bit more. Let's not work to a sweat. Because if we overheat, then we're going to end up getting sick. We're going we're gonna to catch a cold. 
then bespeak the whetstone and said, Master, we will go home, for fast it draw unto the net, or sop her by this rot is dight. And so he's saying, like, let's go home, it's getting close to evening, and dinner's ready. Yeah. Then lane and stone, the piercer and file, says, that is good counsel. Or counsel, technically, but counsel. The crow, the plain, and the squire says, We have earned well our hire. And thus with fraudes and falsed is many true men deceived. Therefore, by aught that I can say, they shall never thrive, nay they. So, they're never gonna help you prosper. Therefore, the craft I will go through, and to another I will go. And so this is all the nail puller saying, like, all these other tools who are saying that the carpenter is fine at his job are actually all drunkards. And so I'm gonna leave and go to another place. Yeah, they're all conspiring together. Then answered the wife in the high, and I might, so would I, but I am to him bound so fast that off my halter I may not cast. Therefore to the press that bounds me, Prentice, he shall truly have my cares, and ever shall have to that I die in what country that he ever be. So she's saying, I'd leave him too, but I'm married, and... I'm going to curse the priest that put me in service. Just- yeah, I like that metaphor that she's that she claims to be like bound as an apprentice rather than married. Than married again because he needs to be a master craftsman, and the only way yeah. you can do that is with a wife. So yeah, she's like cursing him in whatever country he's in now. Therefore, right, take heed of this, that ye may mend that is amiss, and truly that ye do your labor, for that will be to your honor, and grave you nothing at this song, but ever make merry yourself among, ne guess at him that it did make, ne envy at him ye take, ne none of you do him blame, for why the craft hath do him shame. By more ways than two or three, thus says the book sternly, God, and that- Certainly. Yes, certainly. God, that is both good and hind, give you grace that ye may mend, and bring us all unto his bliss, that never fro us shall miss. Amen, quod frate, which is apparently the author. So this last little section here, is an appeal to all carpenters who may hear this song. Mend your ways if you are amiss, because that is to your honor. And don't grieve at this song. It's not it's not att- it's not attacking you in particular, but also don't make fun of him that this song may be about. And don't blame him. And then yes, and then thus says the book sternly. So thus says the Bible sternly. Give you grace. I still think that says certainly. Certain, certainly, or just certainly. Yeah, certainly. That's fair. That says the book certainly, <laughs> not sternly. Oh no! Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I got the T in the wrong spot. But anyway, so that is the debate of the carpenter's tools. Yeah, and I like that it ends with a little like a "if we shadows have offended" kind of thing. Yes, exactly. They're they're covering their uh their asses for a second. Mm-hmm. So. The debate of the carpenter's tools. Now everyone's going to sound like the Swedish chef forever and ever. (laughs) 
That's how I think Middle English sounds. It's like the, the Swedish chef from the Muppets. Oh, yeah, I can kind of see that. Because it's just so up and down. It's got this lovely little lilt to it. I love it. All right. So I did find a few interesting articles about this that I can pull up. There wasn't that much literature on this, which I was disappointed about because I think it's such a little, a charming little text. I'll start with the more straightforward one, which is Edward Wilson's article, which is just titled The Debate of the Carpenter's Tools. And it essentially just goes into the text and its form and its function, and it's extraordinarily academic, so it's not eh, it's not as interesting a read. It does list the entire poem as well, including the yochs and the thorns, which is very helpful. Oh. So if you're looking for a copy of it, you can find like a whole introduction and uh, the poem itself in this article, which is very handy. Um, oh, and it does contain a lovely little picture of a bunch of carpenter's tools. Let's see. There wasn't anything super interesting in this one, except to note in particular that the carpenter isn't usually found as a comic figure. In Chaucer's Miller's Tale, he is. He's a gullible cuckold, as Wilson notes. And in the mystery plays of Joseph, patron saint of carpenters. But Wilson notes that these are not as relevant to the debate. But we do see a shrewish wife, which is not a term that I would attribute to her, but I think we tend to be more, like, that's more of a derogatory term in our day and age than it necessarily was for his, because this is quite the old article. (laughs) So we do see that theme of let's, you know, nag on our wife, even though she's the one mm-hmm. bringing in money, you know, he's still going to spend it, so on and so forth. So yeah, I don't think she comes off that bad. No, I would agree. I think I think she's just being reasonable and straightforward. But you know, mm-hmm. what medieval woman is reasonable and straightforward? That That's sarcasm, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to know. I know we have tone on audio, but you can't see my face. So anyway, That one's not as interesting, but it does kind of paint some of the background that I already talked about. So if you're looking for a citation on the debate of the carpenter's tools, I would suggest Wilson's article. Uh, We do have a more interesting reading in Wendy A. Matlock's article, Reworking the Household in the Debate of the Carpenter's Tools. So here we go. Quote, the transitional tensions in the 15th century experiences of households result from two key cultural trends. First, the growing distinction between servants, including apprentices and family, and second, the increasing exclusion of women from craft guilds. In the 14th Mm -hmm. and early 15th centuries, a master's wife and children participated in production while his servants and apprentices joined the household. Thus, artisan houses blended labor and love. They provided places for families to eat and sleep, but also included workshops, sales rooms, and schools for productive labor. Work and the accumulation of wealth were intimately linked to domestic life. In the late 15th century, however, housing began to develop separate spaces for kin and non-kin, which solidified the different status of servants and relatives within the same space. Additionally, wives were marginalized from market production as a result of guild regulations that explicitly excluded women from the trades to which they previously had been admitted. Men assumed Mm -hmm. responsibilities for trade and women remained primarily in the home, which is very, very true. 
Yeah, this is something we see very clearly in the history of brewing, because Mm -hmm. for a very long time, it was a household activity that was done mostly by women. But at the same time, when it was becoming like a profitable activity, it became more and more a male dominated activity. Yeah, it became more of an enterprise and more of a male-dominated thing at at the same time. Because once it becomes profitable, the men come in and push the women out. Wow, I'm so glad we're past that. Right? Other, incidentally, uh, more recent formerly female-dominated activities that are now male-dominated activities because they became profitable include computer science. Yeah, that's true. Or even if you look at the arts... The arts and mm-hmm. the like, the liberal arts and universities are primarily a female-dominated field. And even though mm-hmm. there are more women in STEM now, and we're like pushing more for that, which is great, I would just love to see the arts actually appreciated, like yeah. point blank. Like there's there's not a but or an and to that. It's just like yes, women in STEM is fantastic. How about the liberal arts? Just at all. <laughs> well, I feel like this is something we've talked about before, where. It's it's a trend generally that it's considered laudable for women to enter male-dominated spaces and be successful, which it is. It's great. But at the same time, we should also be lauding female-dominated spaces. For being what they the are. Absolutely. Yeah. Like teachers, nursing. Like, oh, no, you don't want to be a nurse. You want to be a doctor. Are you kidding me? Traveling nurses make way more and have less debt than most doctors. It's wild. But anyway... That anecdote aside, yeah, it just, it absolutely kills me to see that because there something always rubbed me wrong about the whole women in STEM thing because, like, yes, I absolutely know that when it's a male-dominated field, women can be marginalized and are marginalized and pushed out of certain conversations. Like, I am a woman in STEM, and I, like, I personally have not experienced that at my company. I feel very, very welcome at my company. But I have seen that, like, in piloting, when I was learning to fly, I was like, oh, wow, yes, this is a very male-dominated field. But also, like, the whole premise of, like, women in STEM, how about just let's let women choose what they want to do and be proud of them either way? Like, is that so weird a thing to say? <laughs> let's appreciate these other spaces. Like, it doesn't always have to be, like, whatever men are doing is the right thing to do. And yay, women for getting in on it, too. It's like, just no, like- that's not the right approach. <laughs> Yeah. See, that I think that's the best way I've ever heard it st- stated is like, yay, women for getting in on it, too. It's like, no, that's not that's not the approach we should be taking in my estimation. It is not. <laughs> but it often is the approach that is taken. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like, I think being a stay at home mom is a massive job. I respect mm-hmm. stay at home moms. Are you kidding me? Also, like, if you can afford to have a single income household, or even if you're a working mom or a single mom, like... Damn, that is some hard work. Just domestic life is not like a life of luxury is all I'm trying to say here. Yeah. It's hard. And there I think there was a there was a beautiful point that I heard somewhere that went on about how did Leonardo get to do what he did? And like how did Edison and all these like grand savants do what they did? It's because they didn't have to do the domestic stuff. Mm-hmm. They were either wealthy enough or they had partners to where it didn't matter. Yeah, this is something I've I've seen even more specifically about like our field when it's talking about those 
late 19th and early 20th century oh. scholars that seem to be insanely productive. And it's like, how could Skeet publish all this different stuff? It's like, well, because Skeet never had to do the dishes. Yeah. He never had to, like, make dinner. He he could spend, he could devote all of his time to scholarship because his wife was doing all the right. other work. And probably proofreading his stuff additionally. Like, Edison's wife was probably. a, f- like, incredible woman. Not Edison. Einstein. Einstein's wife. That's what I'm thinking of. I know nothing about either one, so I would not have noticed. I know very little, but it's it just frustrates the living hell out of me because it also kind of goes back and reinforces, like, look at us now and the amount that we have to work and how much little time we have to pursuing the arts and pursuing, you know, new science and developments and so on and so forth. Like, when was the last time you sat down and really penned a poem because you wanted to or even learned about how to pen a poem? Mm-hmm. You know, and so we look back at like, um, I was going to say Mallory, but who else am I thinking of? Like Byron, for instance, or Thoreau, or like any of those, you know, individuals. And it's like, there's so much privilege and wealth wrapped up in that. But there's also something to be said for, for some of those individuals, that was the standard of the day. And look where we are now. Like maybe they weren't privileged, but look where we are now in comparison. Although Byron definitely was. Oh, One thing that Byron. people often forget is that Byron isn't his last name. It's his title. He is Lord Byron. That's his, like, barony. He's a wild, wild man. Absolutely wild. Anyway, mm-hmm. Professor Powell went on about him and just the stories. <laughs> if you haven't, just look up, like, who he was as a person. Like, he would just go off and get wildly drunk and just fuck off to Egypt or Greece or whatever. I seem to remember there was a story about him bringing a bear to school. I would not be surprised. But yeah, look, look stuff he's, up. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's wild. Or James Joyce's love letters to his wife. Please read with discretion. Those are NSFW. Yes, I would advise not reading them because they're... they're, they're <laughs> filth. They're really, they're filth. It's really, really bad. <laughs> You're like, oh, yes, James Joyce, one of the greater, greatest writers ever. No. No. I mean... Not his love letters. Like, I'm not going to say they're badly composed, but, like, the man was into some... Yeah. I suppose we're, we're kink-shaming a little, but... Yes, I'm kink-shaming James Joyce. <laughs> like, it's not that I'm a prude. It's that, like, his letters are gross. His letters are gross. Anyway, most people don't know about that, and I like inflicting that on them. <laughs> anyway, I will go on with this article uh, by Matt Locke. Let's see. Like most debate poems, the debate of the carpenter's tools remains unresolved. The debate pits one half of the anthropomorphized carpenter's tools, which are allied with the carpenter's wife, against the other half. Half argue that by working hard, they will be able to ensure the master's prosperity, and half are in concord with the wife, who dispute this assertion, pointing out that the carpenter is lazy and that the tools promise to work hard are themselves mostly drunks. Then we get into the idea that even though a lot of the debate poems of this time have very clear sides, or if you read it, there's a clear winner, the poems never explicitly state who won. So this is a convention of the time. So while we might think, or at least I have come to the conclusion that the carpenter's wife is probably the better party or the winner of this debate it is not technically stated anywhere that she is yeah but i mean i I think it's clear i i would argue so 
Matlock also notes that the only thing produced in this poem is words, boasts, and sneers. The narrator never says that any speaker labors, and in fact, no tool ever suggests that they should work in the present tense. At the best, they promise to work hard at some future time. And that even includes the tools who are against the carpenter in this case. Like the nail puller that basically said, like, I'm going to leave and I'll find a job someplace else. But it's still future tense. So that's an interesting to note. And Matlock also says that the blame for this lack of productivity rests with the carpenter. She goes on to note that the woman in this situation cannot use the tools. She never makes herself an agent. She's not picking up the slack for her husband. She's spinning, which is her womanly yeah. duty, but she's not becoming the carpenter. She doesn't get to do that, which demonstrates that shift in guild culture because earlier she probably would have. She could have been in that space. She could have done the carpentry work herself, but instead here she's saying like, I just wish my dumbass husband would get up off and, you know, out of the alehouse and do his job. Yeah, and it's it's worth noting that while we're talking about uh, women's agency, that the alewife being a tavern keeper mm, and mm-hmm. not a brewster is indicative of how women are being pushed into very specific roles. And being an alewife was one of the only ways that a woman could make an independent income yep. legally. Yep. And because of that, alewives were often shamed. I still have a theory that the figure of the alewife and the figure of the witch are uh, linked. Oh, I 100% agree with this. Absolutely. And you see, Matlock even notes that rather than advising her to complain less and work more, the wife's harshest critic, the square, condemns her speech. And the idea that she might even use these tools never even occurs in the poem, Mm -hmm. which is interesting to note. Matlock argues that the wife's presence is an ultimate disruptor of the space. And it's fascinating to me, just from a conceptual kind of metatextual sense, that the carpenter is the one who dominates the poem, even though he is the most absent, because he is not there, he is not working in any sense, and everyone around him is still revolving around him. Yeah, the only indicator that he's even present is in the very first line Mm -hmm. where the axe is talking to him. But he never responds. He just lets the tools talk. And, like, maybe he's not even there for the whole thing. Yeah. Because the wife doesn't talk to him when she comes in. Maybe he left. I'd say he probably did. His tools started talking to him, and he was like, clearly, I need a drink. He, <laughs> he noped out of there. Ruth Mazokaras, one of my professors at Trinity, also uh, is cited in this article, saying, A man could do the same kind of work, whether he was married or not, and his legal status did not depend upon his marriage, but his ability to become a master craftsman and his participation in artisanal masculinity did depend heavily on it. The idea that a man was not fully adult until he married and could not be a householder without a family also pervaded the society. Which I find very, very interesting because I think a lot of people have this idea that in the Middle Ages, like, once you were a teenager, you were an adult. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, the idea of, like, being a teenager was not particularly a thing in that period. But they did understand apprenticeships. They did understand growing up. They did understand that transitional space. So it's interesting to me to see this sort of the lateness, quote unquote, of when you become an adult based on 
marriage and master craftsmanship because that could occur fairly late in your life. Yeah. So that's an interesting idea that sort of um, contradicts, I think, a lot of people's ideas about the Middle Ages. A book that I've surely uh, cited before is uh, David Graeber's book, Debt, which does talk in one chapter about the difficulties when uh, apprenticeships were getting longer and it was getting in like the late Middle Ages, early modern period, and it was getting harder for people to actually achieve the rank of master and what that did to ideas of adulthood Mm -hmm. because it was supposed to be like you got your you finished your apprenticeship then you got married and you started your mastery Mm -hmm. but if your apprenticeship runs long then what do you do wow it's almost like ideas that you were an adult when you could buy a house yeah exactly and maybe we're not there anymore (laughs) there's some modern commentary for you it god buy a house Right? Can you imagine? Can you actually imagine owning a house? That is a wild idea to me. I mean, it only comes up for me in the context of, if I won the lottery, which I don't play. Right, exactly. Like, it is is literally a pipe dream for Mm -hmm. people our age. And I was thinking about Yes, I definitely dream of it while smoking my opium. (laughs) Maybe that's why I can't afford a house. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's It's not the opium. It's the latte you drink. Oh, right. I forgot. And my <laughs> avocado, avocado toast. toast. <laughs> oh, the opium me. is blameless. Yeah, boomers are so out of touch. Like, it just kills me because I'm thinking about, like, when my parents had a house before they had me. And I'm like, that was, that was like, close to my age. Yeah. I can't do that. What the hell? Anyway, not to get on that rant, but yeah. Ideas of when you're an adult change, and I think we're living through one of those periods right now. So it's very interesting to see that kind of, not retroactively, but at least in the Middle Ages here when it's like, oh, I need to be a master craftsman to be considered an adult and I need a wife to be considered an adult. And it's like, to me at least, you should be an adult before you get married to take on that responsibility. But to them, getting married was a part of being an adult. You learned that once you got there. Anyway, I found that very, very interesting. Let's see. Matlock also cites Wilson here saying, although the poem is satiric, it is not critical of carpenters as such. The satire is directed from within the craft and not at it, which I think is very, very important to note. We saw this also with the tournament of Tottenham, Mm -hmm. where the satire, like, yeah, it's making fun of like the peasant folk, and it's also making fun of the aristocracy, but it's sort of, you know, it's a middle classish poem. And again, here we're seeing the carpenter being made fun of, but we're seeing it, we're seeing the carpenter made fun of from within the profession itself. So this is not, it's not a bullying poem, per se. Right. Like, well, oh gosh, there was, there was a great quote that's like, satires when you look up at your betters and make fun of them. And like a tragedy is when your betters make fun of you or something. There was something like that. Uh, Like a piece is not considered a satire if it is looking down on the people who are already at the bottom. Right. That's essentially what I'm trying to think of. Uh, So I I found that very, very interesting to note from a literary perspective. And I think that can inform like how you approach your work, either as a DM or as a storyteller. Like if you're making fun of something, Look at the approach from which you are making fun of it. Like, that's the difference between an inclusive joke and, like, a, you know, a bigoted joke, really. Yes. So be aware of those things. 
But anyway, I think that's all of the, yep, that's all of the notes that I had. I believe comedians call it punching up and punching down. Ah, there we go. That's a way easier way to talk about that. I'm over here using fancy words like satire. (laughs) Making sure my degree is worth something. That's all I have. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to (laughs) stop. Yeah, this isn't the place for economic anxiety, Zoe. Oh my gosh. <sighs> I mean, I'm doing I'm doing great all things considered, so. Yeah, you've got a pretty you've got a pretty cool job, honestly. You know, I love my job. I get up every day and get to write video games. I, you know, and I get to sustain myself on that. It is exactly what I wanted. So, I'm I'm very happy. Which as an added note, if you know anybody who needs resume advice or career advice, particularly for within the game industry, um I've been doing that for some local friends. People have been messaging me on LinkedIn. I have some handy little guides that I wrote on my LinkedIn. So, if you know anybody or if you need that kind of advice, let me know or look me up on LinkedIn because those are published and public. And I wrote them very deliberately because I don't think that colleges give you good career advice. So I wrote it myself. So please check it out if you're looking for a job. Good plug. Thank you. (laughs) It doesn't profit me anything, but it profits you. So yeah, that's literally why it's there. I can't stand the career advisory centers at universities, and I've been to so many of them. But anyway, I will get off that horse before it starts galloping downhill. Yeah, should we move on to the segments then? Yes, absolutely. What say you? Best dialogue. Ooh, that's tough since this is all dialogue. I'm going with the turd line. That's a pretty good one, honestly. Because, like, yeah. you're not you're not worth a shoe doesn't quite sting as much as, like, I think you're a turd. I like uh, the devil's dirt for anything that you can work. Ooh, that one's pretty good, too. Both are good. Both yeah, are very good. I feel like there's not a whole lot to add since we just talked, since everything we just talked about is dialogue. It's all dialogue. Uh, we don't have any deaths. We don't have any critters. No, um, unless you want to make all of these mimics, <laughs> which could be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so let's... let's adapt this stuff to a D&D game. What, what are we going to use here? Well, I had a thought that I like the idea of the fact that the tools go and get drunk with the carpenter. So that could either be like, as, as you said in what I think is going to be off mic. No, I'll, I'll leave it in. As you said a moment ago... <laughs> Maybe they're all mimics, and I like the idea of a carpenter working with a bunch of mimics. That'd be hilarious. Secret BBEG. Yeah, exactly. Boom. His devilish scheme is like, I'm super good at carpentry because all of my tools are mimics. Or maybe they're not even that good. He's just hanging out with mimics for reasons unclear. Yeah. That is up for the GM to decide. Do as you will with that. There's just a bunch of mimics, and it, you know he's a carpenter. I also like the idea of an intelligent magic item that demands ale. That's great. I I really like that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just picturing like an awl or something that is like, ah, yes, with my power, I can pierce through anything, but I demand <laughs> a flagon of ale Ta-da! or it won't work for you. And then, of course, once you give it the ale, it gets drunk. drunk and-, and then it's got to, you know, it's got to go through the checks and... Ooh, I like that. That could be very, very fun. Yes. On a slightly uh, more serious note, I think 
Well, it's more serious depending on how you want to play it. I think it would be hilarious to do like a an early on quest of this poor wife trying to deal with her drunk ass husband. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe you, the characters, get into debt or they try and commission something from this dumb guy. And now they have to deal with this drunk carpenter and his myriad talking tools. Yeah. How many ages hence shall this, our lofty scene, be acted over? I don't think in there's states anything that, like, yet un- has, has taken from this. Not not in particular, but we do have all of those idioms. That's true. You know, to rule the roost, for instance, we've seen, like, a hap for happenstance, like your fate, mm-hmm. things like that. You could always use those words. Those are fun. The Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Terminology. Well, we now have a list of different kinds of tools. You can use any of these tools or just use them as different names if you just say them in that way. You know, just say them in sort of a Middle English way. That'll work. You know, you got Saint um, Saint Eustace. Yeah. Eust- what was it? Eustace or something? Eustace. 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 Oh, yes. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find all those little idioms. Oh, here we go. Therefore, the cup owns I will kiss. I will kiss. I'm going to kiss the cup, meaning I'm going to drink the whole thing. Yes. Which I think is great. That one's fun. That is a good line. I'm also going to mention again the devil's dirt as just yes. a phrase. Yes. I think alewife is a great word to use. Oh, yes, absolutely. You should include an alewife. Yes, absolutely. There should always be alewives. Always. Iwis, which is surely... Oh, yes. Iwis. 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 Yes. And what, there was another one. Ifeith? Ifeith. Yes. That one's great. One of my favorite ones, uh, which is still used depending on where you live, is ken, which is to know something. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that word. Yeah, that's still in Scots. Yeah. I think that's all of them. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Or dame. I feel like dame should just be used more as a, as a term for woman. Indeed. Because Is it used here? Uh, yes. The the square said, what say you, dame? Say you, dame. Yeah, so it does. That's mm-hmm. interesting that that's already just meaning woman, because it's it's a title, isn't it? It's like the female equivalent of a knighthood. I believe so, but I don't know when. <laughs> Apparently it's also a, uh, a store for fun products, because I oh. just Googled that as a word, and that is not what I was looking for. Oh, but there's also over on the side, chivalric title. Yes. Coming from domina, meaning mistress in the Latin, then the old French, and then the Middle English, denoting a female ruler, then generally to woman. Yeah. Which I guess is the same thing that happens to lady. Yeah. And mister. Yeah. And sir, for that matter. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Yeah. I just didn't think that that had happened so uh, early. So quickly. What are our lessons from the text? If your tools start talking to you, just leave. Just leave. Go get a drink. You're going to anyway, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I have anything else. Like, the whole thing's a satire, so. Mm -hmm. Maybe, how about, about, you know, include women in your guilds? Yes. In general? Yes, include women. If you don't. That's an interesting take for your D&D game, but make sure that everybody is okay with that. Oh, I thought you meant like in actual like professions and you were just using guilds as a metaphor. I mean, both. That too. 
But I, I always find it interesting to, if your table is comfortable with it, include issues like that, because it can give players a lot of agency if they have something to fight for or against. Mm-hmm. And if that is something systematic, then it can provide a lot of catharsis and a lot of agency to players. But in first and foremost, make sure they're comfortable with that dynamic to begin with. The court. I don't know if we have anything to add to the court. None of the tools, particularly. You don't want talking tools in the court? I mean, we could. Oh, man. I guess. Okay. Okay. You go first. Because this is is my text. Yeah, I'm trying to... You have to go back, look through all the... Yeah, I'm seeing which ones have, have good lines. Yeah, I'm gonna. I would like the crowbar. All right. Because he seems, or they seem, because I guess. Okay, it, do, it does gender the crowbar. He seems very <laughs> uh, stalwart and willing to defend his master. There you go. Plus, he can have a good time. What it says is uh, the crowbar began to speak because his heart was like to break to hear his brother so reviled and says, Thou speakest like a child. I think that's good. Nice. That is a very good line. I will go with the drot nail, or the nail puller, because I like his little speech. He's a narc. That, you know, this is true, but I am not, I'm not the biggest fan of drunkards, so. Fair enough. And I like the wife. I like the wife, and I want to be on her side in this one. <laughs> yeah, I like that we both just assumed that, like, the carpenter and his wife are, are out, and we're picking from the <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, the wife's okay, but she's like, she, she is a little bit, you know, on edge. But I like, I like the little speech that the nail puller gives. He uses reason. Yes. Not to reinforce the, like, emotional woman stereotype here. Although I do like that she curses the priest. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I already made my pick, though, so I'll stick yeah. with it. Final rating. I like it. It's good. It's funny. It's short. It is very short and contained in scope. So I don't think I don't feel I can give it as high a rating as some of our like bigger, more encompassing ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I do feel like anybody can read it. Yes, that's true. It's much more accessible, I think, because it's such late Middle English. It's almost like reading Shakespeare. Yeah. It's that late that it's only like a step removed. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to understand when you're looking at the words than mm-hmm. I think when you're listening to it. Uh, so read along, I suppose. Like, this is a late warning, but it is it is easier to read. Yeah. Because you don't have yeah. the, the Swedish voice in your head. You could just read it straight across. Like, if I if I wanted to, I could just say, The ship axe said unto the right, Meat and drink I shall the plight. Clean hose and clean shown. Get them wheresoever thou can. Like, I could just read it like that. Yeah. And you can, you can basically understand it. And the words that you can't understand... You have a gloss right there. It's online. It's free. It's easy. Yep. So in general, I think I'm going to give it a seven. Seven. Very good. I think I think I'll match that. I think I'll match that because it's it's very funny. It's short. I wish there were a little bit more meat to it, and I'm a little bit annoyed at the repetition of the rhyme day and night because like mm-hmm. it was there so often. And I'm like, come on, man. You can't think of anything else. Fair. Fair. Oh. Okay, so content warning in lieu of Leech's Corner, I have some interesting links that discuss medieval and, I guess, 
early modern terms for bodily parts and also curses. So please be aware, don't have your children in the room, etc. Content warning. Bing, 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 bing. So let me grab what I wanted to show you because I found it today and I think it's hilarious and it's a great resource. Timeline of slang terms? A timeline of slang terms for sex, penis, and vagina. Oh, goodness. I thought these would be hilarious to read because they are very, very interesting. And it tells you what the earliest like reference of, the, of them are. Mm-hmm. So for sex, for like having sexy times, the earliest is to give someone a green gown, which is rolling in the hay, like to have sex outside in a field. <laughs> I like that. And that's 1351. So that's pretty early. Yeah. Ah, why is there not a, a citation? I want to know where this came in. There might be on, like, the whole... Because it's got a connected Tumblr. Oh, wow. There's three parts to the intercourse one. There's a lot. Wow. There's queer sex. There's other terms for women. Other terms for men. Religion. Death. Larceny. Jobs and occupations. Exclamations. So these are fantastic resources for DMs and, you know writers etc yeah other terms for women Ooh, wow alcatraz bait oh that's horrible anyway oh dear that's really bad but anyway we'll go back to the ones we were actually looking at another term for having sex is swiving swive was another term for fuck. um yeah it literally means to work yeah there's also nug or play nug a nug from 1505 or play at couch quail. I like that. <laughs> couch quail. Do the deed of darkness, 1593. <laughs> Use that one in your next Vampire the Masquerade game. Oh yeah, that would fit. The shaking of the sheets. Play the pure dewey, 1512. Not sure what a peer dewey is. Probably slang for the vagina. Yeah. Are you looking it up? No, I was <laughs> looking at the other timeline. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Shall we look at the other terms for the uh, the penis? Sure. I suppose we'll put we'll put like a little content warning in case your kids are listening at the beginning of this. Like, hey, <laughs> let's see. Bollocks is the earliest one. Uh, Bollock stones, which I think is hilarious. Jewels is very early. That's from 1465. Eggs is from 1466, which I think is, I guess they wouldn't have referred to like women's ovaries and eggs like that yet. So I guess eggs make sense. Yeah, they were quite confused about what like ovaries were for a very long time. That makes sense. Uh, Lance, of course. A man's giblets. Rudder. Beef, 1603. I don't like that one at all. Oh, a man's come aloft, 1509. <laughs> Knitting needle, 1607. Sounds insulting. I guess. Apple John, 1599. I don't know what that is. Apple, Apple John. <laughs> I think I've heard that in a list of Shakespearean insults. Oh, interesting. To have no ink in one's pen. I'm going to assume that's referring to erectile dysfunction. I would imagine so. 
All right. Uh, according to Wiktionary, an apple john is a variety of apple which can be kept for a long period. Hmm. So I don't know why that's... Maybe that refers to, like, longevity? Oh, no, wait. I see. Oh, no. A variety of apple which can be kept for a long period, gradually becoming dry and withered. Oh, no! So if you... Yeah. <laughs> it's a visual... Yeah, that makes... Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a look at the other terms for vagina. The oldest one is one that I will not say, uh, because that is still used in a derogatory fashion for women's vaginas. Uh, And that word is uh, from 1230, so that one's been around a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure how derogatory it was originally, but it definitely is now. I don't think it was originally, and it became so very quickly. Mm. Quoniom. The Latin. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the Latin for the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or the same, um, what do you call? Yes. Etymon. Yeah, that makes sense. They're cognate is what I'm saying. There we go, cognate. Um, Etc. Jewel is also used. Interesting. Token. Beard. I've heard that one before. In real life or in like... Yes. Interesting. Both. There's a there's a really funny little moment when uh, in in the show Black Sails where this like new pirate shows up in Nassau or something and they're like oh yeah you've got to speak with Blackbeard and it's a whore whose nickname is Blackbeard for the obvious yep. reasons. Yep, I gotcha. Yes, let's see. Altar of Venus or Venus's Cradle. I think those are pretty. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. put that in your next love poem. Uh, let's see. We've also got Click It Gate. Fourteen ninety nine or trench socket fourteen sixty five. That one is very early. Earlier than I would expect. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also Watergate fifteen sixty. I feel that's self explanatory. Mm-hmm. There's Netherlands, which I think is hilarious. Fifteen fifteen ninety one. The Netherlands. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, dock saddle. Okay, this is fascinating. Pudding is referred to for both. Hmm. Well, I assume that for one, it's the type of pudding that's like, that you eat with a spoon, and the other is the type of pudding that's like, like a sausage. (laughs) What? I don't know how else to distinguish the two puddings. That's valid. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> no, you're not. I just, I just, that one took me a minute to like think through. Uh, there's treasury. There's quiver. There's honeypot. There's also, okay, this one's very strange and it doesn't have the same etymology that we have for today. 1594, poop. I wonder why. Is it like analogy to the poop deck on a ship? Maybe. I don't know. That's fascinating though. Let's see if I can find the etymology. Oh, from the Latin poupis, meaning stern, and the old French poupe. All right. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Did you find any other wonderful timelines? Uh, I found that there's a way to click through to Green's Dictionary of Slang, which is the source for all this. Or rather, Ah. I think it's published by the same person. It's just the counterpart to these timelines. And let's see. Yes, this is from the timeline of slang. So do check that out. It's hilarious. It's very, very fun. Great for authors. Other, let's see, we've got other insults. 
Kiss Me Where I Did Sit on Sunday, 1620. Nice. Mm-hmm. Stow Your Wids, 1610. 1607, I believe this is Shakespeare, but I could be wrong. A Fart in Your Teeth. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the, the 1525, A Fart for Whatever. It's like the devil's dirt for whatever. Yeah. But the devil is very old. We knew that one. Also, I just clicked on the sources, which is like the very bottom of the list of different timeline links. And like all alone at the very beginning of his timeline is Geoffrey Chaucer. God bless. Of course Chaucer's up there. Like just floating out there before anyone else. Like the only one from the medieval period proper. Ah, that's amazing. Of course, these are just common sources, not like all of his sources. But yeah. Right, right, right. But anyway, I thought that would be a fun way to, to close out this episode because it's something that we don't look at normally. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's a great reference. There's there's a bunch of um, like insults, slang terms. So like pox on you. If you're if you're looking for something like that and you don't want to just say the same things over and over again, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of them. Cock was very popular, like um, cock's mother. Because that was apparently um, a substitution for God. So, by cock's wounds. Oh, I gotcha. Yep. Okay. Also, Gog was the other one. Right, Gog. Mm-hmm. Uh, by cock and pie. There's Zounds, 1580. That one was very early. I like Zounds. Zounds is always fun. Uh, th- but that's where um, Gog or Gad, like, Igad. Gadzooks. Gadzooks. There we go. That's God's wounds, isn't it? It's God's hooks, I believe, referring to the nails. Ah, that makes sense. But Um, I don't know where I got that. That's just something I'm remembering, so it could be wrong. Interesting. There's a Cod's life. Gadslid from God's lid. Is lid? Eyelid? Probably life. Probably from life. Oh, okay. That's my guess. Um, Mary, shit on your hood. Should we be bleeping these when we put this one out? I don't know. I think only if it's like our, our curses. Right. What the Dickens comes from 1600. I thought that was sooner. I had always assumed that it was like based on Charles Dickens. That's what I thought, but apparently no. My stars. That's a good one. By the Lord Harry. That seems very particular. Mm-hmm. Cotso. Odds but. God's butt. Really? God's butt? He showed his butt to Moses. Really? It's in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Oh, Gemini comes from 1686. Wow. Wow. These are are great. Furies and damnation. Anyway, if you need any of these, there's some really good ones in here. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, I thought this would be fun to look through. Get lost in it. It's very fun. It's very easy to get lost in it. But yeah, and I'll definitely, I'll definitely link those. Um, but yes, fair warning. Please use them with due caution and make sure you're using them contextually because going through some of the exclamations, there are terms that we do not use today with good reason. Mm-hmm. So please don't yep. use those terms. Find the funny ones. Don't use <laughs> the really terrible ones, please. Use your language responsibly. Like, for real. <laughs> yes. Generally good advice. Yes. 
language responsibly. Yes, yes please. All right, but that's that's all we've got, I think. <laughs> I think, I think so. it fits with the overall tone and timber of this episode. So I agree. It's satire. We got weird slang terms for stuff. All right. Yeah, so if you come up with any of other any other lists like this, I would love to know about them because I collect them for work because I can always use lists like this uh, for work and for play because I homebrew all of this stuff. So if I find a list of like weird terms, I'm like, yes, I'm going to use this in everything and then I forget about it and then I bring it back up. But anyway, point being, please let us know about this and you can let us know about this on our Facebook, Instagram, on our Discord, uh, wherever you want to find us. Come, come, Come give us some lists of terms and have discussions with us. Yeah, and now you know that if you run across any unusual yet filthy slang terms in your video games, Zoe might have put them there. <laughs> you never know. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to the Maniculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, you can check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, for more medieval and geeky-related discussions. And feel free to reach out. We are always excited to listen to you guys and hear what you have to say. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and we're on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. Special thanks to Sandra Boyle for creating our music. You can check out their project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. Hold on, I've got, I hear the dog barking. She needs something. Uh, Talk amongst yourself. (laughs) Hello, me. Hello. Talk talk amongst, amongst my, I can't do this. The Middle English is messing me up. I always sound like the Swedish chef. The poppity corn. Anyway, all of you will sound like this now. From listening to this. Please enjoy. And you thought Shakespeare was hard. Alright, I'm back. Have fun editing that. <laughs>